taking a different path. That could make all the difference in the world. There's a little quote like that that I had for my senior quote. Two roads diverge in the woods, and I took the one less traveled. Now, I did read more about, I didn't read more about that quote. I lied. That's like when you say you read an article, but you really heard about it on TV or something like that. Uh, Gina had pointed out there's more to that uh, quote and that it ends up being the same thing. Anyway, taking a different road, trying a new thing. How many times has this show been about that? Many times. But if you're listening to it for the first time, just this time. Forget that. This is brand new. You've probably never even heard of it. Okay? It's uh, it's new to you. Like in the olden days, and they're like, if it's uh, <laughs> new TV, like reruns, or if you haven't never seen the rerun, it's new to you. Uh, this is Psychotherapy with Jeff Dunlap, and they call this episode 85. Today I discuss a walk that I go on, a special walk that I can't tell you about. Can I tell them about it? No, I can't tell you about it. I can't tell you about it, but I do in the show. And then I talk about feelings and humans and experience and ideas and environments. <laughs> so persons, places, is, and things. Is that new? I'm tired. And uh, I wasn't earlier. So maybe I should have some V8 energy. <laughs> I take the power of vegetables. I used to mock my wife for buying these energy drinks, quote unquote energy drinks, when I was drinking like rock stars or Red Bulls or uh, monsters. Boy, those sound like exciting things that should be in novels. Uh, I don't do those anymore for over a month. So I have to have the energy of a potato in a V8. So I'll have one of those. But while I'm doing that, why don't you go ahead and listen to episode 85? <laughs> I was going to say The Phantom Menace again. I'm very tired. Uh, listen to. It- Episode? Yeah, that's right. Listen to episode 85 of Psychotherapy. I'm Jet Dunlap. Thanks for listening. What does a peacock feather, a 1990s buoyancy compensator for scuba diving, and a little box made of what I would assume is pine or some kind of balsa wood? I don't know what balsa wood's out of made. <laughs> I don't know what balsa wood is made out of. I guess it's made out of a uh, balsa tree. But what do those three items have in common? Give them to you again. A 1990s buoyancy compensator for uh, scuba diving. One of those vests that you put the scuba tank on. Scuba Steve. Um, little Big Daddy reference there for you. Uh, Adam Sandler. John Stewart. So I have to get back to the the real subject here. Okay, so what do they have in common? Do you remember what they were? Buoyancy compensator. I'm trying to look for levels here. Buoyancy compensator, peacock feather, and uh, a pine, maybe balsa wood box. Are you ready? Okay. These are all... Wait, I don't like the way that sentence is going. All three of these were items I found on my walk today. Did you guess that? If so, great job. So Jet, you're telling me that on this five-mile walk of yours, you were carrying a giant box that used to house wine under your arm, even though it couldn't fit, and you had a scuba vest and uh, and a peacock feather sticking out of your backpack? Well, you must have looked insane. Well, sure, but who has all three of those items now?
these items are given to me mostly from the trash or the street. The real Santa Claus out there is the, uh, <laughs> the, the real Santa is the, uh, the garbage. You have to go to the ritzy neighborhoods to really find the, uh, the good trash. If you learn nothing from my show in 85 episodes, that is, that is the tip I want you to take away. Is that uh, just like when you're a kid, if you live in a poor neighborhood, you go to the rich neighborhoods for two reasons. Any kid from the valley, and I'm assuming any kid from anywhere where you're in a not-so-fancy neighborhood, you know that during Halloween, if you want to get the full candy bars, you got to go to the fancy neighborhoods. That should, that should be a thing in real estate when they're like, you want to know what kind of area this is? Susan down the street, she gives away full Snickers bars on October 31st. That that would tell you what kind of money gets uh, tossed around in that neighborhood. And uh, then also for Christmas lights. When I was a kid, they had this thing called Candy Cane Lane. And I thought, oh, wow, in the valley, there's this place called Candy Cane Lane. Turns out everywhere that has a bunch of Christmas lights is called Candy Can. Candy Can? Yeah, Candy Cane Lane. But those are also in nice neighborhoods. So there you go. The peacock feather that is in that bushel of gifts that I got from the bounty of the trash today uh, is from a walk I do now every Friday with my mother and uh, and my wife. It's become kind of a, what do you call it when it's not a tradition? A regular thing? Yeah, that's what it is. And it's a part of the squawk walk. What's that? Squawk walk. What did you say? Squawk walk. It's the squawk walk. And you're going to ask me next, because I just, isn't it amazing that we have such a relationship where I know what you're going to ask me next? Because we finish each other's, see, look at that. Um, the Squawk Walk is a walk that Gina and I discovered uh, right when the stay-at-home order started. Don't worry, I'll get to why the name is what it is. We used to have this walk where, uh, first off, you have to know this about me. I don't like walks or runs, or bike rides, where you have to go to a place to do it, right? So for me, people would be like, oh, I went on an awesome run the other day. I uh, drove down to the beach for an hour and a half, and then went for a run. It's like, what? You can run at your house. Just use your imagination. <laughs> Listen to some whale sounds. I mean, ideally, if I lived at the ocean, I'd go on those kind of runs. When I lived at Santa Cruz, uh, well, no, not when I lived in Santa Cruz. When I lived in Santa Cruz, I wasn't running. But when I visit there, I'm house-sitting, Running on the beach is amazing. If you can afford it, I recommend it. But driving down there, you have to be sweaty when you come back. It's a whole thing. It's a whole schlep. So most of my hikes, runs, and bike rides are from home. So we're walking over to this path that we go to that goes through the Santa Susana mountain range. And uh, I'm not going to go into all the detail about that, even though I'm sure you want to hear more backstory. And we're, we're doing this little fire road. And then, you know, how you have like curiosities. Do you know that? Have you ever experienced that curiosities? Or is that just me? And uh, we see this path that's kind of brushed over uh, with brush and uh, hence the name. And one day we just felt feisty or adventurous and we went up this path. I think I'll put the picture of the first time we went on this path of Gina leading us up there. Hey, by the way, on the last one where I said I'd put a wheelbarrow as a picture, I actually did that. Isn't that amazing? That's the actual barrow barrel that uh, that I transformed. And if you did not hear that episode, nothing I say will make sense right now, unless you listen to that episode. And 
you also have to listen to the the one through uh, through eighty four to really get that full IMAX immersion understanding of this show. Anyway, back to the path. We start walking down this dirt little trail, and what a smorgasbord of uh, <laughs> I backed myself into a corner of smorgasbord. What a what a tapestry of woodland treats for the eyes are what we found. Yeah, that made sense when we went on this hike and it was awesome. So there were like hills and they went up to the unique geology of Chatsworth and Simi Valley, which is this sandstone that at the time peered out of this beautiful green shrubs and grass and stuff like that because it was, it was a wetter season when we started in March and it was just lovely. So we started making this hike a regular thing, Gina and I, and of course, Falcor Dog. Mrs. Falcor Dog. Mrs. because she's married to Dog Jesus, just like nuns in the Catholic Church. Well, nuns in the Catholic Church aren't married to Dog Jesus. They're married to regular Jesus, uh, which you already know. But Falcor Dog is married to Dog Jesus, so she's celibate. And uh, she's Mrs. because when people hear her name is Falcor, they go, oh, well, wait a second. Is that a male dog? And I get offended every single time because I'm an insane person. And I go, look at the femininity of this dog. Plus, froofy little dog should be uh, female. Um, it's the only thing that makes sense. Anyway, so the three of us, we start going on this path and we really like this path because the best hiking, as far as I'm concerned, is the one that takes you the furthest away from anything man-made or any trace of human development, you know? So when I go camping or anywhere else, when I go dry camping, especially like in the Alabama Hills or the Eastern Sierra Nevadas, I like to not see anything man-made because that, if you've experienced it, you know that it just settles your mind in a way that is uniquely benefited by the fact that you're only seeing nature in its natural, you know, nature in its natural, yeah, that's right, nature in its natural environment, sure. So we're going on this walk. We really liked it. It was cathartic because we were going through some crazy times during the beginning of the pandemic. And uh, we go hiking around. We sound, Am I telling you enough about this hike? Anyway, so then we went to an area I can never tell you where it is. I'm sworn to secrecy. It's like uh, Atlantis. I may or may not have been to Atlantis, not the hotel chain, the actual underwater city. I may or may not have been there, but if I had, which I have, I can't tell you about it. So this hike is the same way. So I told Gina, I said, well, let me take you to this path that I think this might merge with that I discovered uh, the year prior because there might be some interesting fowl to observe. And I took her down this path. I had a hunch we'd see what I was looking for. And so we're walking down this street in this secret area I can't tell you about. And I tell Gina to look to the right. And as she looks to the right, standing on top of a garage, like the side of it, with its tail cascading off the side, was a monkey. It wasn't a monkey. But if it was a monkey, imagine how cool that would have been. It wasn't. It was a pea fowl, a peacock, a boy peacock, which are the more majestic, beautiful, as in the case with uh, humans, the male of the species is far more uh, attractive. So she sees this beautiful peacock that's peacock man who's on the corner and it's peacock trunk (laughs) its body is on the top and then its tail is going down the the garage 
and it's just gorgeous. So this area is full, I can't tell you where it is, of peacocks. And they just roam the area. You hear their squawk. I went to high school at a place that had peacocks because the mission that was built there in the 1700s uh, had brought peacocks from, I think, Madagascar or something like that. Spanish had done it. The area where we are out here in the area I can't tell you about also had brought peacocks in that same period, the 1700s. And they have bred and lived in this area forever. So a couple days later, we saw this white peacock. And then Gina saw, which is not an albino peacock, it's just missing pigment, but it was beautiful. And I took a picture of it. The squawk walk name comes from the peacocks that make a squawk noise. So that was the squawk walk. That is how I have, and you already guessed it, a buoyancy compensator, a pine box, used to have wine in it, and a peacock feather. And in a lot of ways, there's a lesson in that. <laughs> there's, a, there's a lesson in that in no way. But it is where the story was going to go. And, and because you guessed it, I had to tell you. That actually dovetails nicely into what I was going to talk about today. I can't say was going to talk about it. I was always, or I obviously was going to talk about what I just talked about, or I wouldn't have. When the pandemic hit, it was very important to me and Gina too, to do things, to accomplish things, to create things, to have a tangible result, evidence of the efforts that we had put in during the period in which we were not quarantined. Remember at the beginning of that, when I was doing the podcast, I said, be very careful about your language. Quarantine has a different meaning and uh, has a different emotion behind it. So we were in shelter in place. We still got to go to the grocery store and everything like that. People were actually quarantined. It's quite a different situation. But so we worked on the backyard landscaping. We did, I mean, that took us basically three months, which was a massive, massive project, cement, woodwork, the gabion fencing, which is uh, wire fencing with rocks behind it. So I'm looking at it right now. It's incredible, everything we did. And then towards the end, I was bringing some stuff up with this wheelbarrow that I mentioned last time that was all cemented and rusty and just terrible. And I completely rebuilt that over 10 days. The cool thing was we started all these projects right after our gym closed. And I said, by the time it opens again, I want to have all these things done. And we did all these things. And now they're there and I can look at them. Among a lot of other stuff, the stuff that I'd done, going to school, some scripts, and a lot of other projects even inside the house. So we had this, what I described to you when it started, opportunity to leverage this period where you had no social obligations to anyone. It was a deviation from normality, right? And when I was talking to my mom today on the on the walk, she was talking about how at the very beginning, this was exciting. This was something fun. You're making masks. It's it's you know I mean the first thing she said I should I should elaborate was that you're scared. What is this? What's going to happen? There's that anxiety, right? And then all of a sudden, your brain, your human brain, which is unbelievably malleable, contrary to what we think about it, because we see so many stubborn people. And stubbornness is what is rewarded on television, especially in the media. This is my belief, and my belief will never change. And that's on both sides. They're just as guilty. But uh, during this pandemic, if you are a enlightened person, which my audience is, you realize that you adapt pretty quickly. And there was some kind of excitement to that, uh, if you played it right, because it's new, it's different, it's interesting. My mom was making masks for the first time. She was enjoying a different 
kind of lifestyle that forced upon her. But if you lean into it, it, it can be interesting. And then she was saying, like herself, a lot of the people she knows were experiencing a kind of lull or a sadness once that changed because that was that was exciting. And I kind of explained, and she was not so much asking, but I answered anyway because I don't care. I'll answer questions that aren't asked, just like this show. I've answered 85 episodes of questions not asked. The reason that was exciting is because when you are forced to do something, uh, to change something you haven't done before. So when you're forced to do something, whether you move to a new house, get a new job, uh, you know, when you're a kid, learning to ride a bike. Think about all the things when you're a kid that you first learned. You have a heightened awareness of everything because you're learning something and now is expanding your mind. You have cortisol, you have adrenaline, you have all these chemicals that are being supplied at a higher level because you are in a mode that humans were meant to be in the majority of their life, which is learning and adapting. And that's fun. Now, the funny thing about this is, is that it's also, if viewed through the normal definition of things, difficult, annoying, inconvenient, right? So if you define them under the terms that we usually have in life, you can convince yourself that it's not worth doing. New things, like dealing with life on its terms, dealing with reality on its own terms, which I recommend when you are faced with something like this, uh, real quick, and I'll talk about it more later, but for instance, in the case of wearing a mask when you go out, deal with reality on its own terms. Don't worry about the pundits. Don't worry about your political opinion. If it is healthier for you, in the sense that you have a lower chance of getting this disease, and you have a lower chance of spreading the disease, just do that precaution. Don't let yourself be affected by the idea that a medical prevention has a political backing. Both sides will make you feel one way. The truth is, just do it. Your first instinct, your human instinct makes most sense and follow that. Anyway, back to what I was saying. A lot of people were forced into doing things on the terms of the reality that was given to them. And that was jarring. And I said at the very beginning, that could be a great thing for you. Most of the tentpole moments in my life or most people's life, if you're not doing it on a proactive basis, then it's in reaction, which means this situation has been put upon you. And you get to figure out a lot of things about yourself during that. And that can be exciting and that can be difficult. But in hindsight, you look at it and you go, wow, I'm really glad I did that. I want you to take that energy that you had that was forced upon you that made you become a different person and look at that in other aspects of your life. A lot of things for a lot of people are going to change. For instance, in my mother's case, my father's case, and many of my friends, their job is going from a office work environment. My mom, who's a teacher, is going from a classroom to an online classroom. And in many cases, these people are apprehensive, anxious. It's another opportunity to discover a skill set that you may have let stay dormant. It's again, it's, it's, it's a, a flex on words, right? Words are important when it regarded quarantining, <laughs> quarantining, that's a great drink, or uh, shelter in place. Those have different emotional uh, reactions to its, you know, to what it means. It's the same thing with opportunity versus disaster, right? Because if you've been alive for a little while or ever seen a movie or read a book, you see that 
many of the people who we admire, whether they're fictitious characters or people in real life, which is where fiction comes from, it is that something incredible happened in their life and changed their perspective forever. And that event that may have even been viewed as a disaster ends up being the center point of the severing of their previous self to their new self. And the new self, in a lot of cases, like me, could be a person who is just comfortable with discomfort. And what an incredible skill set to have. Because when people ask me, oh, how did you get into landscaping? How did you get into wheelbarrow renovation? No one asks me that, but they could. (laughs) It's all a part of doing things that I knew I couldn't do. And what I mean by that is looking at something that I have zero skill set in, have no experience in, and going, I want to learn that. I want to do that. As you've heard me say before, being okay with being bad at a thing until you're good, which I'll just reiterate a little bit because there are new listeners now. A skill set that I think is more valuable than just about anything is being comfortable with discomfort. Because everything that you're ever going to be proud of is going to come out of something you didn't want to do or something you did want to do that was difficult. So in that case, you didn't want to do it either. That is to say, something you've been putting off for a long time, something you've always wanted to attack. And when I was talking to someone recently, they were saying, well, I don't want to be an actor. I don't want to be a screenwriter. I don't want to be a mountain climber. If I sat down with you for 10 minutes, I guarantee within those 10 minutes with a quick Q&A between us, just conversation, you go, well, you know, I always wanted to X, Y, Z, whatever that is. So getting you to do that thing comes from the understanding that the initial part of doing something new is going to be uncomfortable. Now, knowing that gives you a suit of armor against quitting. Because why do we quit things? Uh, Guitar, surfing, rock climbing, anything. I don't need to give you examples. You know what I'm talking about. Because we had an expectation that was unrealistic. Now, I never liked that. I never liked hearing that because someone would be like, oh, you didn't get great at it. Well, you're being unrealistic. There are things that I wanted to get great at. And over time, I got pretty great at. I'm not saying you can't be great at it. I'm saying when you go into something, expecting to be great at it, instantly will hinder your ability to be bad at it, which is what you need to be before you can be good. And (laughs) after good is going to come great. It usually follows that cycle. I find that people who are gifted, people who are more apt to have an ability early, have this disadvantage more. So if you're in school and everything came to you easy, And then you get into life and nothing comes to you easy because school is very different than life. And as you know, my opinion about school prepares you for nothing. Um, That's a rude awakening. And because you expected everything to be easy when it's not, you just go, well, forget it. I'm not going to do it. And even worse than quitting is never trying. So what I was saying was that with the pandemic, it gave you a sensation of trying or being forced into a place that you weren't before. And in a lot of people's cases who I'm talking to now, they're like, yeah, it was scary to go to the grocery store the first time. (laughs) I I personally felt like I was an astronaut on the moon. Um, I remember the first time I went to Ralph's, I had like gloves on. I had a long sleeve shirt, even though it was hot. I had glasses on, so no vapor from people would splash into my eye and kill me. 
I had a mask on that was brand new. I had sanitized up like I was ready for surgery. They let us in one at a time, and I was terrified. <laughs> okay, I'm exaggerating. I wasn't terrified, but I was. I had never gone to the grocery store like that before, right? I had never gone to the grocery store dressed up like a beekeeper. Uh, so that was tough. But then after a while, it became kind of an adventure, and going to the grocery store was an adventure. And if you looked at it that way, you know, just like making masks or being creative with the new environment you live in, it could have been an adventure. And then afterwards, when it goes back to normal, it's like, huh, normal, that's boring. It's like going on a vacation, or I'd use the example a long time ago when I was a kid, I'd go to Disneyland and I'd kind of dread it. Because just like Sunday, which is a part of the weekend, the day after Disneyland isn't Disneyland. And there's a kind of hangover from that, right? So all of this is to say this, your adventure shouldn't end. You were forced to be in a place you weren't before that was uncomfortable. And even if you hadn't looked at it like this till now, you gained some stuff, you learned some stuff, and maybe it was just interesting. Maybe the adaptation could be applied to something else in your life that you never thought of doing. Looking at something where you're like, well, I've been approaching it from this angle forever and it didn't work. Maybe I can approach it from an angle I never thought of before. Because this situation that's been going on since March shows that even if you're the most rigid, stubborn person in the world, and I'm not going to say my father is one of those people. I wouldn't do that to him. But uh, if he was, uh, he's had to adapt. You know, So people who could live a whole life without ever changing from their train tracks, you know, their, their singularly guided system had to change. And with that, what I'm recommending, and I've said before, if you don't do this on a regular basis like I do, <laughs> I am changing all the time. Obviously, didn't do a podcast a year ago. Now it's my way of life. Didn't used to be a rock climber. I don't need to go through examples. If you haven't heard the show, please listen to the show. But you know that I'm used to changing. If you're not, take this little wave. I'm going to use a surfing analogy, even though I'm not a surfer. So (laughs) get ready. Take this little wave that you rode and paddle back out. Because if it just takes you to shore and you're just living with the new reality, tomorrow, hypothetically, the vaccine comes out and everything goes back to normal. We know that's not going to happen, but let's say it did. What have you gained? What have you seen about yourself that you liked? There may be parts that you didn't like, but that's not what we're focusing on. What in this period where we had to adapt, did you look at an aspect of yourself and go, that's cool. I didn't know I could do that. I didn't know I could change that. And I think that if you try, you know, all of us will be able to find that. And then think, because this was forced on me, I had to do X, Y, Z. What if I looked at something else in my life that I want to change and pretended it was forced on me? I'm able to apply a level of stakes to an event where it's self-motivated, right? So when I'm walking on these hikes, after a little while, I have to add a 10-pound weight into a backpack, then another 10-pound weight the next week. Then I start having to run. Then once I start running, I'm running distance. Then once I'm starting to run distance, I go, how fast can I go? And yesterday, I hit my fastest two-mile pace and one-mile pace on a run, personal record. This comes after some time, but it's because I have gotten so comfortable with being uncomfortable that if I do an event that doesn't create some level of discomfort, then I know I'm not achieving anything. And then someone may say, 
And I've had these conversations. Well, being uncomfortable, that doesn't sound fun. That actually, Jet, sounds uncomfortable. (laughs) But it's just language. You're either growing or not. And a lot of people say you're either growing or shrinking. So your experiences are getting bigger or smaller. If that's the case, then when you are expanding your life's bubble, when you are pushing against the membrane of your normal life, when you're expanding that experience and it's difficult, let's call it an adventure as opposed to uncomfortable. When you're in that space, when you go to bed that night, you're like, wow, I did a thing today. I did a small thing that I've been wanting to do for a long time, or I'm headed in the direction of that, or I'm pushing myself in a way I haven't before. Here's my global view on that. I believe that the incarnation as a human on this planet is to test and push that envelope. How could that not be true? How could being a human not be the greatest opportunity ever to create, expand, and push that experiential bubble out? Doesn't that seem like the reason? And if it is, this whole crazy journey we've taken through my stories and nonsense is to tell you that doing something different, even if it's the same thing, but doing it different, gives way to that same. So that adaptation you had to make because the coronavirus can be used as proof to your brain. Because remember, there's a there's a watcher and a thinker. So you think a thought, and then you realize you thought a thought. That's the person who's watching that thought. So when you're watching those thoughts, you think, okay, so we've done a thing we couldn't do before. Let's put that in another place. And I've had people tell me too, well, I don't really want to do anything. Like I said at the beginning, try harder. <laughs> There's something. And it doesn't have to be great. It could be a better relationship with a person. You know, it could be a garden. It could be... I, I, I use examples because when I'm talking to people, they don't always have the same imagination I do. And so if I use like three or four examples, like, oh, okay, I get it. I did want to plant a tree. Uh, I did want to replace that window. That's not necessarily what I'm talking about, but maybe that's the kind of inspiration you need. What I'm saying is seeing that you are more of a remarkable human than you thought And I believe that's what we're here for, is to keep trying new things. Use that in your tiny little adventures you have throughout your day or week to do something different, taking a different drive home, talking to a different person. Uh, You have no idea how much that can expand you. The ripples of those small events. Think about if you had never made that first conversation with your spouse. If you have kids, they wouldn't exist without that conversation. At the time, it seems so minimal. It all starts from something small, right? You had to crawl before you walked, except that one guy who came out of the womb running. I don't know him, but I've heard. But most of us, it's it's incremental, and it starts from a tiny little spark. And so what I task you with, now that I've run out of words, is creating that little spark in your life, and then coming back to me and telling me what that is. Thank you for listening. You've been wonderful. And you've been so silent. You are a great listener. I'm Jet Dunlap for the show Psychotherapy. Hear from you next time.